Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. How many of you, with a show of hands, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands, how many of you think after Halloween is over, it is completely okay to start decorating for Christmas, listening to Christmas music, and watching Christmas movies? Go ahead and raise your hands. And if you're online, put a hand emoji out on the chat box. So raise your hand so I can see them. Who's, who thinks that's okay? Oh, ooh, man. All right. Well, keep your hands up. Look around at the other people that have their hands up. Make eye contact because those are your people. They are your safe place. <laughs> All right, put your hands down. Okay, now the opposite. How many of you, by a show of hands, think that anything Christmassy that goes up before Thanksgiving is just wrong? Like, it just shouldn't happen. Raise your hands up. Again, if you're online, go ahead and put a hand emoji in the chat box so we can see you. Okay, look around. Make eye contact. These are your people. And you can all rest in the fact that you were wrong together. I love decorating for Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I have been decorating the outside of my house for, honestly, three weeks now, you guys. Like, I've gone in phases. Like, I'm, I'm that extra. Like I, my, my picture is next to the definition of extra in, in the dictionary. And as I've been decorating, people have been walking by in my neighborhood and generally all very happy and thrilled. And um, these two ladies were like, ooh, can we watch? And I'm like, I mean, I'm just hanging a wreath, but sure, you know, hey. You know, like, I, like it's all really exciting to me. The kids are oohing and aahing because we have a blow-up Olaf from Frozen, and who doesn't like Olaf? But you know, there's always that one person that looks at you like you're a lunatic, right? And one of my neighbors, she's walking by as I'm untangling Christmas lights, which is the worst time to talk to anybody. It's like, you just don't do that. And she just stops right in front of me, and she looks me dead in the eye, and she goes, it's a little early, don't you think? And me being me, I immediately go, nope. And she goes, why? Why go through all the bother? Why go through all the hassle? And I was like, look, from my vantage point, if there was ever a year to bring forth the joy and hope of Christmas early, it's this one. And she, she understood what I was saying. We had actually a really nice conversation. Um, she kept using the words classy and classic, not by what I was doing, just so I'm clear. <laughs> She was talking about what she does is she hangs a wreath on her door and her windows and puts candles in her windows, and she just kept using the words classy and classic because what I am doing is full-on Clark Griswold, you know, and I'm okay with it because I love Christmas. I have no shame about that. I love everything about it. I love the gifts. I love giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. I love having hot cider and tea with people. I love the fireplace going. I like the Christmas lights. I like the Christmas movies, the good ones, not the ones that are on Hallmark or Lifetime or all those other ones, like good ones. Like, I like it all, unashamedly so. But behind all that is this just full belief on what Christmas stands for. And it's because in my adult life, no matter how dark the season has been, no matter how lonely I have felt or how painful of a time I was having, Christmas always had this ability to refocus my heart and mind on what this life is even about. And honestly, 2020 has just been a thing, right? 
I think that there are a lot of us that could probably relate with the lyrics from the musical Mame. For I've grown a little leaner, maybe not that lyric, grown a little colder, grown a little sadder, grown a little older. For we need a little music, need a little laughter, need a little singing ringing through the rafter. We need a little Christmas now. So today, I just want to lean into that a bit. And I'm okay with that. And I hope you're okay with that. Today is the first day of the Advent season. And historically, Advent is a time that Christians around the world will, uh, that they'll spend just focusing their hearts and mind on the coming birth of Christ as well as his inevitable return. Each year at A10, we like to produce Advent devotionals that are written by various folks inside of our church. Uh, And this year, our theme is the road to Christmas. We kind of unveiled it last week. We have Advent devotionals that we'll be handing out later today. And the road to Christmas has two different meanings for us this year. One, we're taking a look through the Bible at various things that lead up to the birth of Christ. But it also speaks to what our Advent offering is this year. Every year during Advent, we challenge everyone to give above and beyond and give generously to an Advent offering. And in years past, our Advent offering has gone to... uh, purchasing water buffaloes for an orphanage that we partner with in Vietnam. It's gone to fund various foster care and adoptive initiatives and projects and resources here in Richmond, as well as supporting foster families in our church. Um, It's gone to helping feed thousands of people um, who face food insecurities. And last year, a family of ours from A10 uh, answered the call in their life to be missionaries, and they moved overseas, and we raised over $20,000 to help send them and take care of their expenses to get them into the place where they have been called to go. This year, I'm really excited to say that our Advent offering is going towards purchasing a van for Grace and Peace Community Ministries. Now, a lot of you already know Grace and Peace, and if you don't, you'll hear more about them as the weeks go by, but Grace and Peace, they do a lot of things, and a lot of you are in relationship with them, and you're doing things and helping and serving and just being generally in community. But our big audacious goal this year, and it is audacious because 2020 is 2020, (laughs) is we are looking to raise $30,000 to purchase this van. And this van will not only allow the folks of Grace and Peace to be able to more easily get groceries or housing supplies, but it will take them to doctor's appointments, counseling appointments. It'll be able to take them to and from church or student ministries or camps or school functions. The, The world opens up because they'd finally be able to have transportation that is their own. Sometimes we take transportation for granted, um, but it really is a gift. And so we want to lean into that heavily and be a blessing to them as much as we can to help continue to bring the joy and hope of Christmas and make that a reality because they need it. We need it. Our community needs it. When you look at the people in your life, I'm, I'm betting that if you sat down and have a hard conversation of just the realities of what this year has been for them, they would say that they're, they're just kind of down, that it's just been a lot. I think more than ever, um, we need to be reminded of the hope of Christmas. If you have your Bibles um, or a Bible app, I want to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Chris actually talked about this scripture last week. I want to pick up a little bit of where he left off and continue on this morning. What we're going to do is kind of a memento thing. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Memento. It's fantastic if you have not. Uh, We're going to basically work backwards. We're going to start in Revelation and work our way backwards. We're going to start in Revelation Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to start at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. And I just want us to rest in that for a moment. Behold, I am making all things new. The amount of hope that exists in just that one sentence is pretty remarkable to me. That God is with us and that we are his people. And the word people there is more accurately translated as peoples. And that's significant because throughout scripture when you see the people of God, it's usually talking about the nation of Israel or the Israelites. But that all began to change with the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. Opening it up that 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 gift, the gift and hope that Jesus embodies is for everyone. It's for anyone that is willing to accept, choose to believe in Christ, and surrender their lives to him. And that's important, and that's beautiful, and that's challenging, because what that means is that it doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what baggage you're carrying right now. It doesn't matter how wounded you may be. That God still offers you that same hope. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how high of an education you have. It doesn't matter the job you have. It doesn't matter what language you speak or where you grew up. The reality and the hope of our eternity is that it's offered to everyone if you're willing to believe and surrender your lives to Christ. The hope of Jesus, the hope of Christmas, the hope of eternity is that we are no longer separated from God by our sin, by our shame, or by our guilt. Now this section of Revelation is talking about when Jesus returns, when he comes back and makes all things new, but it is hinted about and talked about earlier on. So we're going to go backwards to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and we're going to start Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to jo- Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I don't know how. I don't know how that works. I don't know the mechanics. I don't want to know. It's just a miracle, okay? We'll leave it at that. And her husband Joseph being... <laughs> A just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. But as she considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, and before we get there, this is my ADD kicking in, which is why my wife is exhausted all the time. When I read things, I do the voices in my head. I don't know if anyone else does that. And for some reason, when I read scripture, like when it's like, and God said, or Jesus said, or an angel said, like, it's totally James Earl Jones in my head. Like, it's this really deep, like, this is, I don't even have a deep voice. My voice is, I can't even do it. Like, that's what I, what I think. And I think a lot of people often will think that because of movies and whatever. But like, have you ever thought like, what if the angel of the Lord actually had a voice like Mickey Mouse? Like, it was like this really high pitch where he sounded like a British pop star, like Harry Styles. Like, oh, hi, behold. You know, like, 
or Meryl Streep. Like, these are the things that I, okay, I'll keep going. This is, but this is what I think about. This is why everyone in my life is exhausted by me, because I go off all over the place. Joseph, son of David, he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Now, this is a familiar story, right? It doesn't matter where you're at in your faith journey, what your faith background might be. Most of us have heard components of this story before. There's a virgin. She uh, miraculously gets pregnant. She's carrying the Son of God. There's angels that spread good news. Jesus is born. That's why we have Christmas. And then we get to verses 22 and 23, which again are verses we've probably heard before. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I just want us to sit in that for a moment. Understand the implications. God with us. Not far off, not far removed, but here. Now, God dwelling amongst man. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and we will be his people. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He was given a name that explains exactly who he is. And it's so easy to miss the hope that is in that. He is God. He is here. He is with us. Hope is here, right here, fully and completely, because he is Emmanuel. But we can go back even further. It says that this is to fulfill what the prophet said. Well, who's the prophet? The prophet is the prophet Isaiah. And so if you go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7, we find this prophet Isaiah. And he was a prophet of God, meaning he spoke truth and wisdom to the people around him and through God's spirit foretold of coming events, which I know sounds a little wacky, but hang in there. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We just heard that before, except this time it was spoken hundreds of years before. If you study this passage in Isaiah, you will quickly see the historical background of it. There are two kings that have invaded the land of Judah, which is the holy and united tribe of Israel. And it says that the king of Israel, Ahaz, and his people were terrified. They shook as the trees of the forest shake in the wind, it says. Because they were scared about this invasion and the implications of what that was. And God is saying like, hey, hey, I know you're scared. But there are things that are happening that you don't see. There's a bigger plan at play. Trust me, I'm with you. I'm going to continue to be with you. And he's telling us that same thing today. Because I think if we're honest, there's a lot of us who right now are filled with a lot of fear. And we are shaking like the trees in a forest because of the wind. And God is telling us the same thing. Hey, I know you're scared. But there's things going on that you don't see. There's a bigger plan at play. I'm here and I'm with you. Now those three verses, Revelation, 
Matthew and Isaiah. Those are referred to as prophecy. And it's really easy to get sidetracked on the idea of prophecy, but I want to point out two primary types of prophecy that we see in Scripture. First is prescriptive prophecy, meaning um, it's writing down or speaking uh, basically truth and wisdom, establishing norms, kind of being able to cut through the heart of a situation, explaining the why behind the what. We, we see this pretty regularly in our lives. We may not call it uh, or, uh, you know, prophecy. We might call it something else, but most of us know someone in our life that just have this crazy gift to walk into a situation or into a room and cut right to the heart of the matter. And they're able to speak life into someone and to give wisdom. This is, this is a type of that type of prophecy. The other type of prophecy is predictive prophecy. And that is where our modern sensibilities go, hold up. We hear predictive prophecy and our minds will go to things like Nostradamus or it'll go to a psychic or medium like Miss Cleo. Do you, do you guys remember Miss Cleo? Am I aging myself right now? <laughs> Like, she was um, a Jamaican woman. I, well, she may not have even been really been Jamaican. I don't know. She had an infomercial, and it's like $5.99 a minute or something, which I called once. Um, but, like, and she would say things, you know, like, oh, someone with blue eyes is thinking nice thoughts of you. Cool. That narrows it down to, like, 18 people that I know, you know. Like, that's not what predictive prophecy is. Predictive prophecy is not us making something out of nothing. Predictive prophecy is not happenstance, it's not lucky guess, it's not coincidence. Predictive prophecy is something that is truly brought forth through the Holy Spirit. And one of the types of predictive prophecy that we see in Scripture is what's called messianic prophecy. And that is specifically talking about the coming Messiah, who we see as Jesus. And in the Old Testament, there are over 50 major prophecies about the coming Messiah. And if you have the A10 app, I have this little section in the notes that kind of spell it out a little bit more, but I want to just run through seven very, very quickly Old Testament predictive prophecies, messianic prophecies that we see. First is Micah 5.2, where we read that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Hosea 11.1, the Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. Psalm 69.8, we read that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Isaiah 11.1, 1, the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Zechariah 11.12-13, the Messiah would be betrayed, and the money from that betrayal would be used to buy a potter's field, which is the story of Judas betraying Jesus. Isaiah 53.12, the Messiah would be crucified with criminals. Psalm 24.7-10, the Messiah would be resurrected. So those are just seven of over 50-plus Old Testament messianic prophecies, predictive prophecies about Jesus that we could read in the Old Testament. So written thousands of years ago. And in the New Testament, we can read their counterparts of where those things came to fruition, which is a big deal in of itself. But those seven that I just read can also be confirmed or corroborated by various sources that have nothing to do with Christianity or the Bible. That's a big deal. Because one of the arguments against God, against Christianity, is often, well, you use the Bible to prove itself, which I think is a fair argument to say. But they never do the hard work to explore even more historical sources that recognize and reflect and hold up the very truth that we're seeing in Scripture. Prophecy is a hard thing to believe. I get it. Because it seems far out. And what happens oftentimes, I think, when we don't know how to work through something or we don't know how to believe something, we just ignore it altogether because it's easier for us and we like to be comfortable. 
We don't necessarily want to do the hard work to step out in faith. We don't necessarily want to have to do the hard work to, to dig deep and, and come to some understanding. So it's easier just to ignore. And what ends up happening is that we basically ignore God. And we'll claim ignorance to the reality of Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. And the truth is God has always been providing evidence of who Jesus is. We just oftentimes choose not to see it. And we're not the only ones. We're not. For the nation of Israel, they had high expectations for the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to be a great warrior who would vanquish all of their enemies. The Messiah was um, going to be a great liberator, the one that would strengthen the, the, the borders and, and basically turn the political world upside down in Israel's favor. And instead, what they got was a Savior who turned the entire world upside down and erased all the borders. Instead, what they got, instead of God sending a man, was God sent himself. And he defied all the expectations because that's what God does. That's who God is. Jesus rarely meets the expectations that we expect of him, but that doesn't mean that he didn't exist. That doesn't mean he isn't who he says he is. Peppered throughout the Old Testament, we see God laying out specific prophecies to speak of Jesus' arrival, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his inevitable return. And if you've been keeping up with your Core 52 readings, that book by Mark Moore that as a church we've been working through this year, Mark Moore points out that most of these predictions would be impossible to manipulate or prearrange, which is why their cumulative weight is so substantial. Now, does that mean we can't have doubts? Of course not. Does that mean we can't have questions? No. Does that mean we shouldn't do the hard work of using critical thinking and examining Scripture? Of course not, but, but we don't. I think if we're honest, and we took a, just a step back to take a look at culture, I think we can all say that we play it pretty fast and loose with facts. We're pretty lazy with facts. Someone will make some claim on social media or in a podcast or in a blog and it's persuasive and it's interesting and it resonates with you in some way. And so you repost it and you reshare it and you retweet it and you talk about it with your friends without ever doing the legwork to see if what they're saying is true. Of separating fact from fiction, of separating fact from from opinion, and we end up perpetuating falsehoods. We end up lifting up lies. We end up mitigating facts. We end up spreading conspiracy theories, and we end up making it more difficult to believe in anything. We make it more difficult to have hope in anything. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. The amount of opinion that is packaged as facts is shocking. And I think what's even more troubling is how guilty all of us are of doing that same thing. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about science is that it seems, and I say seems because I'm most certainly not a scientist, it seems that a good portion of science is trying to disprove something in order to prove it, if that makes sense. 
Like there's these presenting facts and they're tested and then they're peer-reviewed and then they're tested some more and peer-reviewed some more and on and on it goes until the original set of facts or the original hypothesis is either proven or disproven. That's what I brought with me in my searching for Jesus because I hated God. I really hated the church and I really, really hated Christians. And so in my mind, I thought, if I can disprove God, if I could shame Christians into thinking that they are country bumpkins that have no idea what they're talking about, then I am going to be a happy person and I could live the life that I want to live. Here's the thing, though. Through all of that, there was this pull. And I can't explain that pull any more now than I could back then, but it's, it's like when you have the lyrics to a song stuck in your head but you can't remember the name of the song. Or it's like when you're, when you're looking at a puzzle and you know that you're missing something, but you, you just can't quite figure out what it is. There was just this pull that existed. And so I listened and I read and I studied and I talked to people. I set up a weekly meeting with a local pastor and just peppered him with probably annoying and really aggressive questions. And he gave me various books to read. But I also talked to my friends who were Muslim and Buddhist and did the same thing. I engaged in conversation and debate with various people of various faith backgrounds. I I dug into well-known atheists and agnostics and scientists that were trying to disprove God. I talked to a rabbi on why she didn't believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. I just entrenched myself in seeking to understand so that I could prove that I was right. And that all these other people were out of their minds. That it just simply wasn't true, that it wasn't real. Clearly that didn't work out because I'm here today. On July 20th, 1997, I was baptized at Downey First Christian Church. Was I baptized because I had all my doubts lifted? No, no. Was I baptized because I had all the answers to my questions or all of my life figured out and cleaned up? Not at all. I still have doubts. I still have questions. In fact, I probably have more questions now than I did way back then. I'm still broken. I still struggle with things. I'm still wounded and I'm trying to heal. I still cry out. Why? But ultimately, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't disprove anything. And in the midst of all of that, that pull just kept getting stronger. It's a pull that I'm guessing many of us out there feel today. It's a pull that exists in such a way that many of us have become masters at trying to drown it out. And look, I still try to disprove things. I am at my very nature a skeptic and a cynical skeptic at that. If you come to me and say, hey, I read this thing on social media, I'm immediately going to go cite your sources. Don't come near me. (laughs) Let me see your footnotes. I naturally question everything, but I think... All of us have this knowledge in our heads, whether, whether, we, whether we lean into it or not, this understanding that, that we all put our faith in something. For you, it might be um, a spouse or your parents or children. It might be a politician. 
It might be a deity. It might be Jesus. It might be God and, and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It might be science. But we all put our faith in something. And so I chose and continue to choose to put my faith in Christ because the evidence that exists is far more compelling. The things that I've experienced since I gave my life to Christ are far more compelling than anything I was trying to tell myself or what other people have tried to tell me. Peter Soder, in his book, Science Speaks, calculated the probability of the messianic prophecies we see in Scripture being fulfilled by only one man as one in 100 quadrillion. That's a lot of zeros. Like, it's so many zeros, I had to write it out to see, because I was just like, I don't even know what that number is. Again, not a scientist. One in 100 quadrillion. And he, Stoner calculated that the, that number is the equivalent to covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollar coins. And he said, if you took one of those silver dollar coins and got a red marker and put a red X on it and threw it somewhere in the state and then grabbed a random person, blindfolded them, had them meander through the state, the odds of them picking up that silver dollar with the red X are the same odds of Jesus fulfilling just seven of these prophecies. And the odds of that become even more mind-numbing as you add in the remaining 50-plus. But why does it matter? What do all these prophecies that point to Jesus matter? What does Christmas matter? Why? Well, the answer is actually really easy, but it's incredibly difficult to believe. It matters because you matter. And for some of you, that's the first time anyone has ever said that to you. That you matter. And for many of us, we have taught ourselves how to tell ourselves that we aren't worth anything. And we beat ourselves up. And we tell ourselves almost every day that we don't matter. But we do. It matters because we matter. Because we are God's creation and he loves us. We matter because we are his creation. We matter because um, we have a Mago Dei, which is basically the fingerprint of God on our lives. He sees us. He sees you no matter where you're at, all of who you are, the bumps, the bruises, the, the struggles, the challenges, the wounds, the joys, the excitement, and everything in between. He sees you living in a broken world and he offers you hope. I appreciate the way Max Lucado says it. He says, he saw you right there in the middle of a world which isn't fair. He saw you cast into a river of life which you didn't request. He saw you betrayed by those you love. He saw you with a body which gets sick and a heart that grows weak. He saw you in your own garden of gnarled trees and sleeping friends. He saw you staring into the pit of your own failures in the mouth of your own grave. He saw you and he didn't want you to be alone. He wanted you to know that he's been there too.
He knows what it's like to be plotted against. He knows what it's like to be confused. He knows what it's like to be torn between two desires. He knows what it's like to smell the stench of Satan. And perhaps most of all, he knows what it's like to beg God to change his mind and to hear God say so gently but firmly, no. I wish I had all the answers to my questions. I wish I had all the answers to my doubts. I wish I had all the answers to your questions and doubts, but I don't. I don't. What I have is a hope and a faith that the creator of the universe sees me and loves me and has a future for me because of Jesus. That's why I love Christmas. Because sometimes life is a pain in the you-know-what. Sometimes it seems like life can just break you. And so I would rather lean in to the reality and the hope of Christmas than ignore it. Prophets spoke of his arrival thousands of years ago. He was born a virgin, lived with intention, taught, was sacrificed, conquered death, and he will one day come again, bringing a new heaven and a new earth, making all things new. But for now, we have the gift of his word. We have the opportunity to be in relationship with the God of the universe. We have the opportunity to belong and experience real belonging for the first time in our entire lives. We have the opportunity to be in community and shoulder with one another the joys and the pains of this life. And for those who believe and are baptized, we also have the gift of his Holy Spirit. His Spirit who is the great comforter when everything in this world seems to go sideways or the realities and pain of this life rear its ugly head. His Spirit who convicts us and challenges us to draw closer to Christ and to love beyond reason. His Spirit who empowers the very best of who we are and the gifts we have been given. He's not a character in a fairy tale. He's not a genie in a lamp. He's not far off. He is not distant. He's not someone that we're ever going to be able to fully understand, but he is someone that we get to experience every day because he is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is our hope.